Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 60 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. With the Writership Podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about Writership, you can find us on the web at writership.org. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. If you go there today, you can gain free access to their video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's authormarketinginstitute.com. Oh my gosh, Leslie, I'm so excited for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, we um, we mentioned a few episodes ago that we needed to um, kind of to store some up um, and ask for some extra submissions. And one of the reasons is that uh, I'm going on a trip to, um, and one of the places I'm going is to London, and I'm going to visit the London Book Fair, um, which is really exciting for me. Um, I don't know if I've talked about this before on the podcast, but um, but the the people um, of the of the United Kingdom are like they're my people. <laughs> I love I love all things um, stories, TV, everything, and it's my first time to go visit there, and I'm really really excited about it. Squee. Yeah. And by the time um by the time this airs, I will have already gone to the fair. Um and I think if I'm not mistaken, um yeah, I will No, I won't be back yet, but it'll it'll be close. It'll be a close thing. Um so I'm really excited about that and you know, we talked about in prior episodes about the importance, of course, of connecting with other writers. And um, I think I want to add also to doing, um, pursuing big dreams aside from your writing that uh, that are only going to add fuel and energy to everything else you do. So um, I'm looking forward to that and I will report back. Can't wait. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. So um, we have a a quote this week, I think. Why, of course we do. (laughs) Uh, This quote is from Beth Hill. Detail done well is one of the keys to good fiction. The right mix of details can be the difference between a memorable scene and one that could be found in any hundreds of books. Bland, vague, forgettable. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, I think, yeah, right, the details are what are like the rich, um, are a rich part of stories. And I love stumbling upon something that um, is such an apt description, um, whether we're talking about action or an object or a character. Um, I just love collecting 
really apt descriptions and yeah I think it it can really make your book stand out and people might not necessarily be able to tell you why the book stands out they might just say oh I loved it Um, but that's one of those things that creates that relation really lovely relationship with readers Mm-hmm. Unusual in telling detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Preach it, sister. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I do believe I have this open. Do you want me to introduce this one? Oh, that'd be lovely. Okay. So today's story is called The Missing Yesterdays. And this is in a series called The Adventures of Tremaine and Christopher by Terry Marchion. I hope I got your name right, Terry. Um, This is middle grade slash YA, um, probably closer to middle grade based on my um, reading of it. And it's a novella. The total word count is 27,400 words. We are at the beginning of that novella, and this has not been published yet. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) The Missing Yesterdays. Christopher slouched in his seat, his long legs kicked out in front of him as he looked up at the big clock on the wall for what seemed the millionth time, watching the second hand tick off the last few moments of the school day. Sighing, he idly fiddled with a pulled-up corner of the smart film that covered his desk. Usually the smart desk would show the New Earth Progressive School logo at the end of the day, but today, brightly lit, was a note from his teacher which read, Christopher, come see me after class. Great. The minute hand moved, the last tick, and the bell finally rang. He stalled, taking his time putting his books into his backpack as the other kids shuffled out of the class. Once the last one had left, Christopher shouldered his backpack and walked to the teacher's desk. Mr. Anderson watched him, adjusting his glasses as Christopher approached. He looked like a teacher, Christopher thought, not for the first time, with his wide glasses and shaggy head of hair which grew down into his similarly shaggy and graying beard. You wanted to see me? Mr. Anderson cleared his throat. Yes, Christopher, I wanted to show you your grades. He waved his hand over the smart film on his own desk, quickly pulling up Christopher's file. One by one, this term's subject list came into view, each with a corresponding grade next to it. As you can see, he motioned to the list, you're doing well in the math and science classes, but lagging behind in most of the other subjects. He fixed his concerned gaze on the young man. It's clear where your interests lie, considering who your uncle is, but you need to concentrate on all your classes if you want to do well. He folded his hands in front of him and sighed. Uh Uh-oh, here it comes. I try to make sure all the students I teach are getting a well-rounded experience. You're shortchanging yourself. Not that math and science aren't wonderful subjects, but English, history, and the rest are fascinating in and of themselves. He straightened his glasses once again and cleared the smart screen. If you need tutoring, I can give you and your parents some people who can help. He turned back to Christopher. Think about it. You're a bright kid. He droned on, but Christopher ignored the rest. He'd heard it all before. Finally, the droning stopped and Christopher was dismissed. He hurried over to his locker, checking the time on his phone. 
He had time to go see his uncle before the train home arrived. He grabbed his sweatshirt, stuffed his homework and the remaining books he needed into his backpack, and headed for the door. The hallway was emptying out, but he still avoided eye contact with the other students. He didn't have time for chatting. Exiting the school, he quickly walked past the rows of students waiting to board the buses, past the pickup lot, and off the school grounds. Glancing back at the building, he shouldered his backpack a little higher and started running. It was only a few blocks from the school to his uncle's lab. He didn't have to run, but after sitting most of the day in boring classes, well, except for science, he needed to burn off some energy. He hoped to help with some important experiment or two. A shadow fell over his face as the small moon, Luna Minor, streaked across the sky, its surface a blur as it made its quick orbit, one of four each day. Looking to his left, he could see the full face of the larger Luna Major just starting to peek over the horizon. The setting sun cast a reddish glow into the early evening sky surrounding Capital City. Passing the fountain in the cobblestone city square, he dodged and weaved in and around the crowds already gathering for the evening's trains back to the suburbs. He turned right, cutting through Centennial Park, the lab being just on the other side. Slowing to a walk, he took a deep breath, enjoying the sound of the gravel as it crunched beneath his sneakers. Reaching a row of hedges, he pushed through onto the lab's grounds. The building before him stretched wide, all brick and glass with an attractive entrance surrounded by trees and shrubs with a skylight or two visible among all the fans and generators on the roof. Reaching the walkway to the main entrance, he took a quick glance at the large sign which read, Hawking Laboratory of Sciences. He paused to take stock of the building for a little, looking for smoke, sparks, or any other sign of excitement, which sometimes seemed to be the hallmark of his uncle's work. Nothing. Thank goodness for calm days, he thought with relief, and pushed his way through the revolving door. The lobby was a beehive of activity, as was usual. People crossed back and forth, folders in hand, as they moved between wings. Some looked all business, rushing to their next stop. Others were more casual, greeting others as they went on their way. Mail carts and huge boxes with the words, this side up, and fragile, marked on the sides, crisscrossed the busy lobby. He could only imagine what sorts of wild experiments took place in the other labs. The building housed not only his uncle's, but there were botany labs, top-secret experimental labs, and more. Moving past the receptionist, who waved at him as he was a regular visitor, he made his way down a short corridor that opened up into an atrium fronted by a huge transparent glass wall. On it, prominently, a small sign read simply, Main Laboratory. He walked to the door and looked in, resting to finish catching his breath before he entered. He smiled as he looked through the glass. At first glance, everything was an utter and disorganized mess. The huge area was littered with tables piled with electronic equipment, breakers, test tubes, Bunsen burners, unfinished experiments, empty plates, books, and other less identifiable items. In one corner sat a machine which had coils of copper tubing rising above it, arcs of crackling electricity moving from one to the other and back again. Christopher always thought that was only for show, to be honest. The air had a faint burnt smell to it, coupled with machine grease and industrial cleaner. One smart wall was displaying various scenes, the latest weather report, a cooking program, an old movie, all the way to a sports game further down the wall. 
Lab techs bustled around, clipboards in hand as they worked. Rummaging through a long table that ran down the center of one part of the room was a man with a look of utter confusion on his face. He was tall and thin with a shock of dark, unkempt hair that he kept running his hands through in frustration. His lab coat was streaked and smeared with grease and what must have been food stains and was frayed at the cuffs. At the sound of the door opening, he turned to see the boy enter the room. And that brings us to the end of our submission. Oh, my chair is popping. Oh, yes. I this was really a fun start for me to this um to this story. Uh I think that whether um middle grade readers whether they are um into math and science or some other subject to the exclusion of all others, I think they can relate to Christopher um and his longing for the stuff he's interested in. Um and I think there are some really great details in this uh, in the this opening. Um, and my main suggestions are about amping those up and getting even more specific. Um, so specific with verbs, like I mentioned this um, last week uh, in the episode about you know if someone's walking, how are they walking, and how can you use that to reveal character or reveal their mood without saying it, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, when I want to say when Christopher, there was a point where Christopher was walking and I was thinking, oh, well, you know, is he, you know, shuffling? Is he, you know, striding? And you can, um, again, use those specific verbs to avoid a, um, an adverb like walked quickly, you know, you can use the specific word. So that's one thing I would suggest to kind of amp up the, the details. Um, another thing is to really get in there with, um, with some of the descriptions, the, um, when he, when Christopher approaches the, the laboratory, um, the Hawking laboratory of sciences, um, he, um, he notes that it's an attractive entrance and I want to hear what, um, what makes that so to Christopher, what would, you know, what is attractive? What does he find attractive? And so that will, I think both give us a little bit more of a clue into this world. Um, but also, um, tell us something about Christopher. What is it that he does? He finds attractive. Um, and that, that, that would be, uh, yeah, that would be, you know, add to our, um, experience of the story. And finally, I wanted to talk about, oh, this, um, there was an instance of showing where I, or excuse me, telling where I thought, um, showing would be a nice detail. So when, um, when Christopher is going past the receptionist, um, she waved at him as he was a regular visitor. And I was thinking this is one of those examples where you could have her do something or say something that indicates that he's a regular visitor, indicates that she knows him well, rather than just telling us that he was a regular visitor. So maybe a special gesture or a line of dialogue that would um, that would convey that, and it also make that um, she's a minor character. I'm assuming 
um, just based on this, you know, what we're reading here. But um, but it would help to make um, make this minor character, you know, somewhat memorable. We don't want to go on and on about her, um, but to um, to just uh, make it, you know, have her be part of the whole setting and and um she can help to characterize the lab in the setting which is clearly so important to christopher right right yeah so um yeah those were my main suggestions for this author what do you have Alyssa? nice um i have a few to add so um first off yeah absolutely a relatable situation any child in school dreads getting that notification that the teacher wants to see them Ah. i know (laughs) and so this tension is really nicely set up but then it sort of just um dropped christopher doesn't really care what the teacher's saying the teacher has no hold over him there's no implied danger or peril um and it would be nice, I think, for this piece to go ahead and put some uh, thumb screws on Christopher here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let him, you know, really dangle some failure in front of him and build, let that tension hang there. Um, so there's that. I'm, no I'm math hard. pentathlon for you, boy. Right. Something. <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then as we see. Um, just talking again about tension as we see his uncle I'm assuming that's the man in the lab mm-hmm. um, and reflect on you know Christopher's looking for sparks or flames or smoke right um, it's funny but maybe there's an element of danger he can reflect on also maybe there's you know usually uncle's experiments were harmless but there was that one time when so and so lost his leg or something you know okay. like i thought you were you were gonna say finger so all right that's yeah or so i was gonna <laughs> say i but then that seemed gruesome so so yeah i don't know why leg is less gruesome but anyway um, <laughs> so yeah i think um tagging christopher with an even stronger initial desire like what does he want is it that math pentathlon and is that in danger and And what does he want even more than that? Like, what's his big goal? Why is he hanging out with his uncle so much? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's some room to earn space for that, right? So, um, oh, goodness. Did I close it? There's a point where um, he, Christopher, leaves the teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, he's making his way to the lab. Yeah, and I really think you can do what's called jump cutting. So instead of um, uh, instead of I, I mean, I would note that he has time to see his uncle before the train arrived. Um, I would take it through, grabbed his sweatshirt, and headed for the door, right? And then I would jump cut. I would go ahead and drop all the travel. Mm-hmm. I would drop the description of the travel. And then when we get to the lab, I, I mean, we can work in these beautiful moons later. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we get to the lab, because that's really where you should pick it up, I would think that building becomes significant, even more significant than one that's shown as part of a series of settings. Um, and I think, 
because this is clearly where Christopher's heart lies, where he's racing off to go after school to spend his free time. Um, it's worthy of given, giving it that extra space or that extra attention because it's not uh, competing for attention with other settings being mm-hmm. described. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah, so I think those are my my big um, suggestions. I think for me there were um, echoes of world-building when there was a new term that was being introduced, like smart desk, it, it mm-hmm. seemed to be overused. And I was also just curious, I'm not saying it couldn't be done, but I was curious about a world that had, you know, smart paper overlaying a desk and still had m- clocks on the wall that have ticking hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's almost like, um, mm, like... It's not like steampunk, but sort of like we have, you know, there's certain technology that has moved on and certain technology that hasn't. Right. Made me wonder where we were. I mean, clearly a different planet. Right. Because, of yeah, that was, I noted that too, the moons were the first clue for me that we weren't on Earth. Um, right. Which was, yeah, that was kind of a nice plant. Um, yeah, yeah, I want that in there somehow. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he can look at his watch as he's stepping outside and see the moon zooming by, whatever. Mm-hmm. That is a lovely detail. I really like it. That's my only hesitation on cutting that particular section. But it's several paragraphs of space that really reads like stage direction. That doesn't do much for characterization or story building. Anyway, um, I'm I'm hoping you have a mission for us. I I do. Excellent. I do. <laughs> And in this editorial mission, I am urging you to get specific. So take a random 10-page section of your manuscript and look at how you describe things, actions, emotions. Is there any way you can be more specific? And we've mentioned strong verbs, um, but you can also make them very specific so that they're conveying character. They're, um, they are standing in for any number of adjectives, act, adjectives and adverbs. And... Um, uh, when you you know, is there a way that you can show people something? Don't say maybe don't say it's attractive, but but show us what show us the character's appreciation and what they think is a, is attractive, and you will convey all of that uh, to the reader in a much more satisfying way. So uh, check that out. Look at your. Look at how you can get more specific and then let us know how it goes. You can leave us a comment at the bottom of the show notes or drop us a line at captainsblog at writership.org. Thank you, Leslie. As we wrap things up today, please remember the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies. And before we go, a reminder that we recently published Writership Anchor 2 Draft Time, which is our 90-day companion with daily inspiration, information, and exercises to help you start and finish your first draft. It's available in ebook form at $2.99 for a limited time on Amazon. So grab your copy today if you haven't already. 
and we will see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.